Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We ask you to bless and lead and guide as we look at look at this psalm and that you'll show, have us see what you'd have, want us to see. And we just thank you for each person that's here. And we just uh, look for your spirit to lead. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 68. We'll read the whole psalm again and then start where we left off. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Sing unto God, sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth on the heavens by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. A father to the fatherless, a judge of the widows, is the God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. O God, when you went forth before your people, when you did march through this wilderness, Selah, the earth shook, the heavens also dropped at the presence of God. Even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. You, O God, did send a plentiful rain, whereby you, whereby you did confirm your inheritance when it was weary. Your congregation has dwelled therein. You, O God, have prepared your, for your goodness for the poor. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. Kings of armies did flee apace, and she that tarried at home divided the spoil. Though you have leaned among the pots, ye shall not be as the wings. Ye shall be as the wings of the dove, covered with silver and feathers of gold. When the Almighty scattered kings in it, it was white as snow in Salaam. The hill of God was as a hill of Bashan. In the high hill as the hill of Bashan. Why leap you, O high hills? This is the hill which God desires to dwell in. Yea, the Lord will dwell in it forever. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them, as in Sinai, in the holy place. You have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. You have received gifts of men. Yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell in among them. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loads us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. He that is our God is the God of salvation, and unto God belongs the issues of death. But God shall wound the head of his enemies, and the hairy scalp of those of such as one as go on still in his trespasses. The Lord said, I will bring again from Bashan, I will bring my people again from the depths of the sea, that your foot may be dipped in the blood of your enemies and the tongues of your dogs in the same. They have seen the, your goings, O God, even the goings of my God, my king in the sanctuary. The singers went before the players on instruments followed after. Among them were the damsels playing with tim, timbrels. Blessed, bless ye God in the congregation, even the Lord from the fountains of Israel. There is a little, there is little Benjamin with his, with their ruler, the prince of princes of Judah and their council, and the princes of Zebulun and the princes of Nephtali. Your God has commanded your strength. Strengthen, O God, that which you have brought for us. Because of thy temple at Jerusalem shall kings bring presents unto you. Rebuke the company of spearmen, the multitude of the bulls, and the calves of the people, till everyone submit himself. With pieces of silver scatter you the people that delight in war. Princes shall come out of Egypt. Ethiopia shall stretch out her hands unto God. Sing unto God, ye kingdoms of earth. O sing praises unto God, unto the Lord, Selah. 
to him that writeth on the heavens of heavens which were of old, lo, he does send out his voice, and that a, and that a mighty voice. Ascribe you strength unto God, his excellency is over Israel, and his strength is in the clouds. O God, you are terrible out of your holy place, places. The God of Israel is he that gives strength and power unto his people. Blessed be God. All right, so this going to go back here and start looking at verse 20. He that is our God is the God of salvation, and unto God belongs the issues of, from death, or the outgoings of death, you know, the moving out. And it says God is salvation, and he controls death. And this is a great thing for us to keep in mind. And we said it even this morning. Nothing happens that God does not know about and have in his plans. And others have said that the safest place is to be in the will of God. You will not, until, you're, until God says you're going to pass away, you will not pass away no matter what. Okay? And that would be even somebody thinking about contemplating suicide. Unless God allows it, it won't happen. And, and you think, well, how could that be? Well, you look at John, the disciple John. Rome tied boiling him in oil. It didn't work. They tried poisoning him. It didn't work. He died of old age just as Jesus said he would. Okay, and people tried very hard <laughs> to not let that happen. Uh, and then we talked about today's reading. Hezekiah, the king of Israel, sick to death, prayed to God and said, please let me live longer. God gave him 15 more years. And as I said this morning, that was a terrible blessing in his case. He got to live 10 more, or 15 more years, but in that, in that time he gave birth to Manasseh. I mentioned it during the announcements. Okay, I wasn't in there. <laughs> and by giving birth to Manasseh, Manasseh was the most wicked king yes. that Judah had. And he was born during the extra years that Hezekiah, one of the best kings, was given. So he gave birth to a child who was going to be one of the most evil kings of Israel, of uh, Judah, all because he took it as a blessing to get extra life. Okay, and it goes into an example of what you think is good can sometimes be a very bad thing, and how often what seems like a bad thing can be a one of the best things that could have happened. For Israel as a nation, one of the best things that could have happened is that their good king, Hezekiah, would have passed away before he had a chance to give Manasseh birth. Okay, um, but God is in control of all that. He is in control of life and death. He is in control of everyday life. And this is what that verse says. Verse 21. But God shall wound the head of his enemies and the hairy scalp of such as a one that goes still in his trespasses, where the, uh, the hairy scalp is referring to the top of his head. So he's going to control, he's, gonna, he's going to wound the head of his enemies and the hairy, the, the top of their head. Okay, just a poetic way to say the top of their head. Oh, crud. The hairy scalp. <laughs> Now, if they're bald, I guess they get away with it. But no, 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 no. And I was mixing it up with another one we had not long ago, the hoary head. That's a gray head. Gray hair. And I thought... No, there's benefit in being gray-haired. <laughs> <laughs> Great honor and blessing in being, in being gray-haired. Yeah. As, as I told all my kids, I've earned every gray hair in my head. <laughs> and, they helped, and they helped me earn it, so... Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's what gray hair shows, is that you've lived long enough to become wise. 
Uh, verse 20, you know, verse uh, 22, And the Lord said, I will bring again from Bashan, I will bring my people again from the depths of the sea. Now Bashan, we didn't talk much about this the first time we talked about, but Bashan is the area on the east side of the Jordan from Gilead to Mount Hermon. And it was the land that was given to the half-tribe of Manasseh on the east side of the Jordan. Uh, in Jesus' day, it was the southern half of, of Bashan was, the, was part of the Decapolis. if you remember that, when Jesus healed the, uh, uh, cast the demons out of the, the demonic man and sent them into the pigs. He was in the Decapolis, if you remember the, the story. Decapolis means ten cities, and that area was ten cities, and that was the, that's part of the southern half of Bashan. The northern half of Bashan in Jesus' day belonged, was part of the Tetrarchy tech, of Philip. So the pigs were drowned in what Because I remember that story. He sent the pigs from the de, he sent the pigs uh, the demons from the man yeah. into the pigs, and they ran down the, the down the cliff down into that is the southern part of Bashan. Oh, okay. It was changed to Decapolis during Jesus' day. So and then I like that story. So Bashan is like Arizona. It's an area. It's a very large area. Okay. Very fertile. Lots of things grow there. Uh, they, they have cattle there. Today, most of what we what would have been called Bashan is Golan Heights. Ah. Is the Golan Heights in Israel. Okay. And further on up, it, it, in today's day, it covers... Jordan, Golan Heights, and part of Syria. Okay, so all of that part is, used to be Israel. No, I was, <laughs> I was meant, meant visualizing a man. So just so you know the area that this is referring to, and they've got lots of mountains there, and it says, I will bring again from Bashan. I will bring my people. I will gather my people. I will bring my people from the depths of the sea. And, they, and here, my people doesn't, I will bring again from the depths of the sea is how it should be read. That my people is, was added. If you have an older study Bible, it's in italic, which shows that it was added to try to help us interpret. And it really doesn't belong. And this out of the depths of the sea, as far as most people will look at it, and I believe is true, is that it, he brought him through the Red Sea. He's going, I brought him through the Red Sea and I delivered them. That's what the so what, wait says. A I will bring again the, from Bashan. From Bashan, I will bring my I will bring my people again from the depths of the sea. And that whole statement right there means the, Red the sea. deliverance. The deliverance that Jesus was doing. That that second half, I believe, and most scholars believe, is referring to the Red Sea. And you and you'll see this over and over again. God continually reminds them. I delivered you from Egypt. I brought you through the Red Sea. I delivered you through 40 years of, of, of wandering. I gave, brought you into the promised land. You know. And it could also be that through the depth, uh, through the depths could also be that he, that he stopped up the Jordan and they crossed the Jordan on dry land, if you remember the story of them. Mm -hmm. When they finally cross, he gives a big picture now to the new generation going into the promised land and stops the Red Sea during, uh, stops the Jordan during flood stage. And that was quite an interesting thing because he told the priests that were carrying the ark, they were to go first and they were to step into the flood. 
And anybody who's been around flood waters knows you don't step into flood water. Okay, and so these priests were told you're going to carry the ark and you're going to step into the flood water, and as soon as you put your foot down, the water is going to divide. Talk about having to walk in faith. Uh huh. Now, I don't know that I would want to have been one of the Levites carrying the, the, the ark. <laughs> yeah, the first one. Uh, I sure hope God knows what he's talking about because this is dangerous. Um, so this could, mean, this could be referring to the, to, the, to the River Jordan as well. And the River Jordan has been divided three times we know of. Does anybody remember the other two times? Elijah and Elisha. Elijah and Elisha. When Elijah was headed out to be translated into heaven, he split the, he split the waters with his cloak, and then Elijah came back and did the same, did the same thing. So, all right. Verse 23, that your foot may be dipped in the blood of your enemies and the tongue of your dogs in the same. Now, this is quite a graphic thing. God says you're going to have so much victory that blood's flowing. And you've got to remember, this is David speaking. David's a, David's a commanding general and everything, and he's used to armies and battles. And, and in those days, uh, and even today, if you go into a fresh battle scene, there's blood everywhere. And in that day, there was lots of blood there because it was swords. You know, you didn't just put a bullet in somebody for them to bleed. You, you, you cut them and you, and you, and you cut huge, huge sections and they would lose arms and legs and, and heads and everything. And there'd be blood everywhere on their battlefield. And it showed that you were victorious and that you're walking on that blood. You were, you were the victorious one. And he says, God is going to shed so much blood that we're, you're going to be victorious. And it sounds grotesque to us, but to David, in David's mind, this is, this is total victory. Uh, that he's saying. And then verse 24, you, uh, they have seen your goings, O God. They have seen the goings of my God, my King in the sanctuary. What a testimony this is that you, God, your enemies have seen you move. They've seen you in action. The sad thing is there's so many Christians that never see God's actions and God's moving. And David's saying, hey God, you move so much your enemies know what you're doing and you know it is amazing to us that sometimes the enemies know more about what God is doing than we as Christians sometimes do Why? I think it's because we get familiar with it we're so used to seeing him do things that we don't recognize what he's doing uh, Christians get this idea of because God blesses us so much we start beginning to think that the blessing is normal and because we begin to believe that it's normal we forget that it's a blessing does that make sense? Yes. We just see so often, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm getting poured on, that we start thinking, oh, this is normal, and we start taking it for granted. So is it wrong, like sometimes when we have these tragedies, like the um, tidal waves and the earthquakes and the, um, the floods, I think a lot of times, sometimes God's behind some of that. Is that, could that kind of be? I believe he's behind almost all, almost all, all or all I of it. That's it's punishing. it's punishing. Some of it is natural disaster, yeah. but a lot of it is punishment. This country started on very strong foundations of God and it was a godly nation. But if you, the stuff that we're starting to experience today with the heavy snowstorms, the, the, the floods, the, the, the blizzards, the earthquakes, the if you, and the droughts and all of this stuff, if you go back into Indian history and lore, it's all common. 
I mean, in the 1500s, 1400s, when this was Indian territory and no white people here, they write about uh, tidal waves coming in on the west coast that ran deep into the deep into the Californians and and Oregon. They talk about uh, blizzards that that don't feet of you know. And we're not just talking two or three feet like we see nowadays. We're talking about feet of snow, you know, that that totally covered things. And you read the you read the history and you say, look at the protection God gave this country because we had some very mild weather for the 200 years of this country. And, to, and plus, plus the settlement. I forget where was that? It was just recently. I forget. They had so much rain. It was like I could be wrong. Ten to twelve inches in like in a couple hours. Yeah, I don't know if it, it was, was that big, but it was. Well, four, I think it was five it was inches. Scary. I think they said five inches back on, back in uh, Carolina. Five, five or six inches in in just hour in just a couple hours. Yeah, not days, but an hour. But that's but that's bad. true, huh? That's bad. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot of rain in a very short period of time. And they're drought. So, that means washing topsoil off. So we see this happening, and I truly believe that most of what we're going through now is God taking his hand of protection off this country and saying, fine, you want to you reject me? Let me give you back what it is you're supposed to be having. Uh, and it's natural. A lot of it is natural, but it's also God's protection and judgment. It's what you said about me and my family. You want to stand up here and run this country? You want to stand up here and run these people? You want to stand up here and take responsibility? Okay. And even stepping back, isn't that the same thing you told me? Yeah. Yeah, and God's, taking, God, his God's taking his hand off the protection of this country, saying, "Fine, you don't want to follow me, then, then you can have all you can have all the blunt of everything that I've protected." Israel, you look at Israel and where they've come. They they started with this desert area. And God has blessed them so greatly that they are now the breadbasket of Europe. That little country about the size of, of uh, New, uh, New Jersey produces the vegetables and fruit for the entire continent of Europe. Uh, and God has just blessed them because they're at least honoring them. They're, I mean, he's put his hand of protection on them. They don't fully understand or anything, but... He has blessed them, and they have turned the desert into a garden, just as he said in Jeremiah and Isaiah that they would, that he would return them to their land, and it would become a garden. A desolation, a place of desolation becomes a garden. The readers, weekly readers, did you guys get them when you were in school? Okay, when I was in school, which would have been in the 50s, all of this was just evolving, and I didn't understand the great magnitude of it, but they showed pictures in our little weekly reader of the grapes in reference to the grapes that uh, Joshua and Caleb brought back, that it took more than one man to hold one, one, one grapes, cool. and that there, all the vegetables growing over there, like tomatoes, were like this. I don't know how big they are now. I don't think they're still that big. I don't big, think they're that they? big. I don't think they're that big. But they are still. They put. They make the best vegetables. They make the best fruit, and they export everywhere. I mean, but this is God's blessing. When God puts His blessing on places, great things happen. When He pulls His blessing off, bad things will happen. And this is something we want to be aware of. Now, there's a lot of Christian pastors and everything that are afraid to say that we're facing judgment, but I believe that we are facing judgment and the natural 
disasters are part of that judgment. They always were in the scripture, so I'm not afraid to say that it is now. Because as I've said over and over, what God has done in the past, he is still doing. Mm -hmm. And he said, you'll have earthquakes, you'll have storms, you'll have all this other stuff. So the more we see it, the more we can say we're facing the judgment of God. I believe it because we're, um, the people in the United States is, is turning their backs to them so much and doing their own laws. Like, it's almost like building their own idols and they are. worshiping. We are. We're building yeah. our own idol. We're, it's, it's a human idol. It's, yeah. uh, we, we are everything. It's, it's making ourselves the, the God rather than God being God. But it's just as much an idol. It's just as much worshiped. And God is saying, I'm not going to share. He does not share his glory. He hasn't in the past, and he will not in the future. And we will see more and more judgment. And you read Revelation, and you see earthquakes, storms, uh, famine, drought, all this stuff. And you say, well, what are we starting to get? And you look about this. Earthquakes all over the world where earthquakes have never been reported. You know, we recently had that earthquake, and where was it? Uh, New York City, Jersey, <laughs> you know, places on the East Coast that don't have earthquakes get earthquakes. Wasn't it Oregon or some place that had, never had an earthquake? Or one of the places that there didn't have an earthquake, and they had one? They're on the belt of fire, the ring of fire, so I don't believe that would be true. They've never had any major earthquakes yeah. in a long we time. We talked about the New York thing. It's on granite. I mean, that's solid granite. Yeah. Well, there's faults over there, but I mean, they're just, they're not on the normal earthquake plane. Right. It's really solid. Uh, but God is starting to say, you want to not follow me? You don't want, you don't want me? Then fine. Here's all the problems that you're going to have. Ours will be no earthquake, but ours will probably be over here drought. Could be. Look at the Colorado River. Look at Hoover Dam, how it's Down it is. And how dry everything's gotten around yeah. here because it used to be green around here from everybody who's lived here any length of time has told me that it used to be very green in here, the waterfall up on the mountain yeah. there that doesn't well, run you know, anymore. Like, especially since we're getting our water pipe from Golden Valley, we used to have well here, they're all totally dry. Yeah. So we're finally getting, they got that thing, that pipeline from Golden Valley to Chloride. Yeah. Danny? What is the ring of fire you were talking about? Ring of Fire is all the way up the eastern side of Asia, along, along uh, Alaska, down the west coast, down, down the western part of uh, South America. It is a ring of volcanic activity and earthquake activity. It's called the, yeah. ring of, the Pacific Ring of Fire is what is it's called. It? Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. You get earthquakes and, and uh, uh, volcanic activity on, this, on the Ring of Fire. And all across the west coast of America are, are, are volcanic, vo, vo, inactive volcanoes, which are becoming more unstable. Mm. So we're going to have volcanic activity. And you can look around here. It's all volcanic rock around here. So it's, you know, we're, we're going to see more of that. We're going to see more damage from volcanoes. We're going to see more earthquakes. And I do, I will say categorically that I believe it's God taking his hand of protection off us and letting us have what nature wants to give to us because we're rejecting him and it's going to get worse just part of the end times you know that it's going to get worse you read revelation and see all of the all of the activity that's going to you know destroy and it's all happening in a time that goes into a warming cycle for the earth you know and people will say there there the there, there is no 
problem with uh, warming of climate? There is, but it's not man-made. It's an 800-year cycle. If you look at history, you see an 800-year cycle between hot and hot. And you know, it's, it's interesting when you look at history because you see things like Iceland and Greenland. You well, know. ice is melting. Well, but that's normal. When Greenland was discovered, it was during a high temperature period and they came in there and there's, there was green grass and everything growing in Greenland. They found Iceland later on during a cold cycle, which no, had no, and all it was was ice, which is all Greenland is right now, well, until recently, was ice. Leif Erikson, when he discovered Hudson Bay, was during a high temperature time, and he, and he described Hudson Bay as the perfect area to grow foods for 10 months out of the year. Now, nobody in their right mind would go to the Hudson Bay area and say you could grow food for 10 months out of the year. But he found it during one of the high temperature points when it was a very good place to grow. Scotland in the 1400s produced the best, uh, 18, excuse me, 800s produced the best wine in the world. And today they can't grow a grape if they wanted to out, in the, out on the plateaus. Okay, but during that period it was a high temperature. But 400 years earlier, Rome couldn't conquer Scotland because it was frozen tundra. Okay. Uh, because it was during the cold cycle. <laughs> okay. In the early founding of our country in the 16th and 17th century, we had snow freezing over the, hut, over the, over the, the rivers all the way down to Washington, D.C. The river doesn't freeze now okay, because we're moving into a higher. Okay. So you look at history. It's a cycle. Warm, warm and cold is a cycle. And the arrogancy of our of human human beings saying we're causing it. Now, are we adding to it? Probably. I mean, there is all the, you know. But the Earth will correct for anything going on. But it is a long-term cycle, and this cycle happens to be happening at the same time that we can see the end times coming. You know, and could probably play into all the bad weather and, and reports of that we see in Revelation. So it is a. We see everything forming all together. But again, history. Now, I'm an advocate of history. You need to understand and read history. And the reason countries and people do not want you studying history is because when you understand history, you can't be lied to as easily. Yeah. Now, and it's the same thing. People need to understand biblical history. You know, I've seen some, I've heard really dumb things said about why does the church do such and such and such and such. And you come up with some really dumb ideas. When you go, well, here's the history. <laughs> here's what we did. Here's how it come. And you know, we want to be careful because it's, we want to know history and, and understand it because it will keep us from you know, the old statement, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Mm -hmm. And history repeats over and over and over and over and over and over. And people keep making the same mistakes. Over and over. You know, over and over again. And if they yeah, just had looked back in their history. And that's so, but it is important for us to get into the history. Why? Why? What? What has happened? Because God's activity is always in cycles. Countries start sinning. They they get into a judgment, and then they have a choice. They either repent and we come back to God, or they get punished, and that usually means they cease to be a country or or an empire, or whatever it might be. And so they have a choice: repent or <laughs> repent or be destroyed, basically. 
Israel went through that all through the scriptures. We see Israel coming along and usually they repented and, and came back to God. All of, all of Judges is get into trouble, repent. Get into trouble, repent. Get into trouble, repent. Yes. We see it all through the kings. Get into trouble, repent until the very end where they didn't, didn't repent and God says, okay, I've had it. You're gone. And we see it with each successive empire that's followed along. You see Babylon, you know, Nebuchadnezzar comes to God and, and worships God. Somehow doesn't pass that on to his son and his grandson and then God destroys Babylon. Along comes the Medo-Persian Empire and Cyrus comes along and he honors God and then very shortly his, his descendants and the following of him doesn't continue to follow God and they get, they get taken out and the Greeks, Greeks come into existence. Now the Greeks never really followed God. They just had a good leader and then they, they fall out and then Rome comes along. And there's not been a great empire since Rome. We've had the English Empire and we've had the United States kind of you know, being, being, being an empire, but there's not been a real replacement for the entire world since the Roman Empire. See, I wish they would have, to me, I wish they would have done history. See, I didn't like history at all. Now, if history, I wish I would have learned if the schools only had a Bible and you learn from the Bible. Now, I would like this history. The other history I really don't care for. This history to me is more important. Well, history is very important, but the oh, problem yeah. the problem in schools are all they want you to do is memorize names and dates. Yep. And that bores people. Same thing when you try to study math. You know, uh, I studied statistics in, in in college, and they really did some dumb things in you know in statistics. I took business statistics, which made sense. You know, what you what you learned in statistics, math statistics was dumb. Uh, calculus, business calculus was kind of interesting because you were maximizing profit. Mathematics calculus, you know, when they did max and mins, they said, okay, you're going to fill, fill this bucket and dump it at the same time. And I'm going, who in their right mind fills the pool and pulls the plug at the same moment? You know, it made no sense to me, but profit loss made sense. You know, okay, you're pouring this money in and you're spending this money. You know, that made sense, you know, but to pour water into a pool and drain it at the same time and when will it be empty like why would you do you know you want to empty it pull the plug and turn the water off you know it's right. you know but, but schools do this kind of stuff they teach you stuff that is totally stupid and then expect you to be interested in it and it doesn't work uh, and this is why it's you know, you, you you teach in in uh, military colleges they'll learn uh, war history and those guys are interested in it because that's what they're going to make their life doing. So they get really into it because it's, it's really interesting to them. Uh, and it's, it's important that we do get that thing. We do challenge people to understand. But it also has to be presented in a way like this means something. It's useful. It's going to be useful. And this is why I talk about this, this warming, and, and, warming and, and frozen trend. You know, If they studied history, nobody would be panicking about it. Nobody would be building these computer models, which are a bunch of lies anyway, because on a computer model, you tell me what you want, and I'll write you your program to give you the information you want, and I'll tell you it's a computer model. Okay? You know, it's real easy. You just do what they want. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, but if they looked at history, they'd go, okay, we're, we're on the tail end of this warming climate. It's going to get worse, and it will get worse for another another 40 or 50 years and then it will start coming back if God tarries okay and it'll start cooling off again 
The earth is good about correcting itself and it's a cycle that it uses. And so it's not a surprise. It's not a surprise. It's just not man-made. Now, are we, are we helping to make it a little worse? Probably. Uh, I mean, it, the, the, the pollution being put in, the, in, in there is probably making it intensified a little bit. But the, the, the world is still, the, the earth is still going to go into a cooling cycle when it's done. It's, we're not doing anything that's irreversible. The, the earth will take care of itself. The earth is real good about reclaiming things that man does. And if you don't believe that, go check out the, the ruins of any Inca or, or, uh, or uh, any Inca village down there in the middle of South America, in the middle of the jungles, which used to be clear and, and free of all growth. And now you can't even find the cities because the jungle's overtaken them. Yeah, yeah the walls are still there and everything's still there, but the, you have to be on top of them before you see them because the jungle is so thick. You know, go look at any parking lot that nobody takes care of and you'll find grass growing out of the parking lot. Uh, the, the world, the earth will take over and re reclaim everything that we leave alone. So I am not worried about the earth getting warmer and turning back to becoming cold again because that's historically what it's done. And just as the same thing as, you know, 400 years from now, if God tarries, when they're worried about the freezing of the earth and how man is destroying the earth because it's getting cold and the, and the ice is coming all the way down to Georgia and America and Arizona is temperate because of the, because of the ice coming down out of Canada and we're, fr and we're freaking out because it's cold. It's like, just wait a few more years and then you'll be complaining again because of the heat. Right. Yeah, it's... It's a cycle, it's just, it's just long enough that we as humans don't recognize it because it's so long. You know, and humans have this paranoia that we're causing so many problems because we are so ultimately important that the world just can, can't get long, you know, we can control everything about the world. And then you hear all these, all these complaints and everything and people just look at the history. And, you know, and God is saying, I am going to give you victory. Verse 24. Uh, excuse me, 25. The singers went before the players on instruments followed after. Among them were the damsels playing the timbrels. This is an interesting story about the way battles were fought in Israel at various times. On more than one occasion, God told the priest to take the, the Ark of the Covenant, march into battle ahead of the army. Behind the Ark of the Covenant, he put the singers. <laughs> now, how would you like to be the Levites? You're carrying the Ark of the Covenant into, toward the enemy, and not an army behind you, which is bad enough that you're leading, but not an army behind you, but a bunch of people singing praises to God. And then you have the timbrel play, women playing their, tim, their, their, their tambourines. So women were right there, and then... And then you get the army. <laughs> and God gave the victory as he destroyed oftentimes. Now, they didn't do this every single time, but there were times that God said to do this, and this is what David's referring back to. There's times when God said, I'm going before you. I'm going, to, I'm going to destroy the enemy. And to prove it to you, you're not sending the army. You're sending the, 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 the singers. You're going to bring the people praising God. You're going to send the Ark of the Covenant, my, the, the symbol of my presence in front of me. And this was done during many times during the... The 40, days, the 40 years of wandering, as you read Numbers, you'll see this happening. And David's referring back to this. 
This is also why the, the children of Israel during the days of the judges thought of the Ark of the Covenant as a talisman that you would send it into battle. And that's how they lost it to the Philistines when they went to battle when God didn't tell them to go to battle. And they sent the Ark in first with the singers and the Ark was captured. You know, uh, because God didn't tell them to do it that time. But they had gotten this idea that the Ark was this mighty power and nothing could, nothing could conquer the Ark. You know, it wasn't God that they were putting their trust in. It was the ark that they were putting the trust in. And we as Christians need to be very careful that we don't put our trust in the wrong things. Many times in the Catholic Church, especially, they would have this, you know, piece of cloth that supposedly belonged to one of the saints, and it was supposed to give victory or, or healing, and, and they put their hope in the, in the cloth, not the God that was the saint's power, you know, and we want to be careful. Where do we put our faith and our trust? And this is why one of the reasons I believe Jesus did different ways of healing people all the time was because he didn't want people to say, here's the way you get healed. Okay, here's how you heal the blind. You, get, you put clay on their eyes and they're going to be healed. You know, and then the other time Jesus said, just, just spoke it and they were healed. And the next time he, he spit on dirt and he healed them, you know, uh, or wash their eyes. You know, I think he did that for very good reasons that he didn't want people saying, this is how you do the miracle. You just follow this prescription and this is what's going to happen. And I believe that he did that for that very reason because I could just see it. If every time Jesus did it, he touched their eyes, then it would be automatic. You've got to touch their eyes and they're going to be healed. And it's just touching. You know, it's not the God that did it. It's the touching of their eyes that did it. And so he, he put different ways of doing it so that would not happen. And we've got to be careful because I've seen it in churches where God has done some great thing in a church and they all of a sudden say, this is how you do it. This is how you have a move of God. And, we, and, we, and we've got to be careful because we're hearing it even today. Both of the great awakenings in America started by prayer, especially the second one. We know for sure the second one started by a group of people praying and God moving from that. The first one is a little more unclear, but now we're hearing, you hear it, you hear it on the radio all the time. We've got to get into prayer for revival because that's the only way God can bring revival to us. Well, I want to be careful about that. God can bring revival just by bringing revival. He can bring revival from the preaching of his word. He can bring revival from his people getting out and opening up their mouths and talking about him and it doesn't take prayer. Now, I will agree prayer is going to be a very important part of any revival, but we can't put this formula together and say, this is how God works. Because as soon as we put a formula together saying, this is what he's going to do and this is how he's going to do it, you know, one thing about, that I've learned about God, if we try to put him in a box, he steps out of it. And I've seen it over and over when you go, God, you know, this is how you do this. God says, oh, okay, let me go do it this way over there. And he'll jump right out of the box because God's not going to be told how he's going to do something. And you see it all through the scriptures. God did, did things in different ways every time. One time he sent the army out in one. The next time for Hezekiah, he sends an angel out and kills the 185,000 in one night. And Hezekiah didn't have to do anything. Uh, another time he sent, you know, he, he uses Gideon to surround the enemy and scare them to death by, by, by horns and, 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 and trumpets and, and lights and scares them so much that they kill themselves. You know, 
He does everything that he does, but he says, it's going to be by my power. And our job is to listen to him and to operate with where he tells us to go. And I think I've shared this with you. And the first thing a church will do a lot of times is God will give them some great way of ministering to somebody. And a lot of churches then will package it up and sell it as, a, as the way of, of ministry. Okay? We see it with the faith movement, uh, faith evangelism. We see it in uh, the way of the master. We see it in, you know, uh, evangelism explosion. These work for the church that God gave them to, so they package it up. And I'm not saying they're bad programs. They're good programs. But God can work well however he wants in presenting the gospel. And we don't want to lock him into this is how you are to do it. And I've shared with many. I know all kinds of different ways to evangelize. I, know, I, know, I use none of them the way they were designed. I use bits and pieces of them as God gives me the word to use that bit and piece and say, God, I'm just going to present the gospel. And I've shared with everybody, the gospel's so simple. We are, we are sinners. We deserve punishment. Jesus died for us. Accept <laughs> that gift. You know, that's the gospel. How you present it? Between you and God. Because it's, we're not responsible for them receiving it. We're responsible just to give it. And we can get all fancy and have all the right answers and the questions to to stimulate interest and all these other things. But it's still the Holy Spirit that is going to be the one that answers how to do it. And these plans are good. They're great plans. Don't get me wrong. They're great plans. They're great ways of evangelizing. But we don't want to lock God into a box. I use the Romans Road mostly for, for evangelism, but it's not the only one that I use. All right. Verse 26. Bless you, God, in the congregation, even the Lord from the fountain of Israel. Bless God in the congregation. We need to get so much to where we bless God. We give him praise. We give him honor. We give him thanks. You know, and, I, and I really want people to start thinking about what has God done for you? you know, and as I said, we as Christians oftentimes will be just like Israel. We get so used to the blessing that we forget that it is a blessing. You know, when we give our tithes and offering to God and he blesses us by stretching our money, we get to the point where we just start saying, we say, okay, I'm given, given he will and, and, I'm, and I'm blessed. And we forget that we're blessed. I just give and God meets my needs. And, and, and we ex get to the place where maybe we expect it. And if you think about your, when you were a parent, if your kids got to the place where they expected something that was beyond the normal, now, I'm not saying that we, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know, but, you know, the little treats we gave them, you know, the going out to eat or the special treat that we gave them just because we felt like honoring them, you know, just because we wanted to give them something special. If, if we get to the place where they start, you know, if they came up to you and go, well, well, it's Thursday, where's my, where's my special toy? Well, who said you get a special toy? Well, you have the last three weeks. Uh, that was because I wanted to do that, not because I have to do that. And God will get the same way. If we get to this place where we just say, God, you've got to because you've always done it, God's going to say, well, I don't have to do anything because you don't deserve anything. It's all grace. It's all mercy. You're getting it because I want to give it to you, not because you deserve it, not because I have to. And this is where we get with blessings sometimes. We get so locked into those blessings that we go, it's normal, it's expected. And God's saying, hold it. <laughs> you haven't said thank you for the last, 
for the last three blessings. Why would I keep giving you blessings when you're not even recognizing it as a blessing and saying thank you? And we want to be careful about that because I've been there many times where I get so used to the blessing that when I don't get blessed, it's like, what's going on? Uh, God, you're not doing your part anymore. <laughs> you know, and God's, God's saying, well, you've lost your thankfulness. You're not, you're, not being, you're not being thankful for the blessing. You're not, you're not giving me that praise. You're not realizing who it is that gives you these blessings. And so we want to be careful with that. And it's real easy to get into this place where you start expecting it. We, you know, and I use kids for that just reason because if you think about it, we as kids did the same thing if our parents got into a habit of, you know, uh, and you see it on TV sometimes when the father comes back from a, a trip. You know, where, where's my gift? <laughs> where's my gift? You know, you, you always have a gift for me when you come back. It's not because they're, you're, you're, you know, they just expect it. And there's no thankfulness really for it because it's, you went on a trip, where's my gift? And so we want to be careful about that. Verse 27, there is little Benjamin with their ruler, the princes of Judah and their council, the princes of Zebulun and the princes of Naphtali. Your God has commanded your strength. Strengthen, O God, that which you have wrought for us. He's saying, here's all your little rulers who think they have strength. Mm-hmm. Now, I've been giving them strength. You think you have strength. And then he's saying, praying, God, give them the strength. Give them the strength. And we need to keep always in the, in the forefront of our mind where our strength comes from, where our blessings come from. And this is what I've said. If you think you're strong in an area that you can stand up against Satan in an area and you're not recognizing it's God that gives you the strength, I can guarantee the place you're going to fall is where you think you're strong. Mm-hmm. And there's a mul- multitude of reasons for that. If you think you're strong in an area, number one, you're not putting a guard on that area usually. You know, you usually put a guard on the places where you think you're weak, where, uh, God, I, I know I'm going to fall in this area. Help me stay strong on this. But I'm, 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 I'm okay over here, God. I, I will never fall in this area. I can guarantee if you get to the place where you think you're never going to fall in an area, you will, you will fall in that area. And my, my example was to people, you know, when I was growing up, I never felt that I would ever walk away from God and, and stay away from church. And yet, in my early 20s, I got into workaholism, slipped away from church, and fell away from church for a couple of years. Didn't mean I went off into great sins and all that, but the very place that I thought I was the strongest at, I will never not go to church, was the very place that I fell and, and stopped going to church. And whatever area you think you're strong in, be careful. Pride goes before the fall. And if you think you can handle an area because you're so strong in that area, you will fall in that area that you think you're strong on because God's going to let you fall. He's going to take away his strength and you will fall. And it almost always will be in the area that you think you're strong in because we guard our weaknesses. All of us are aware of where we're weak and we guard our weaknesses. Somebody who's come out of alcohol and knows that they have a weakness for alcohol and they've been away long enough and they... And they'll say, well, I'm not going to. God, I need, I know that's a weak area, and they don't usually fall. If somehow they think that they're the one that got through it and they can avoid it, you're going to watch them fall off the wagon in a heartbeat. Because God will say, fine, you think you're strong? Here, see how long you can handle the, the assaults. And we want to be careful of that. And God is saying, hey, you got your rulers? <laughs> Keep an eye on who's, who, who it is that's making you strong. It's me. 
And David saying, God, strengthen them. Strengthen these princes. Strengthen these people. Verse 29. Because of your temple at Jerusalem shall kings bring presents unto you. And I think we're back to a messianic time here because Jesus is going to rule from Jerusalem. And all the world will come to worship in Jerusalem. All the world will come to honor Jesus at Jerusalem. And it's a pretty amazing thing when we think about that. The millennial kingdom, after the tribulation period is over, seven years where Satan is in control, Jesus comes and he sets up the rule and he says, I'm going to rule from Jerusalem. And all the kings will come to him of the world. Rebuke the company of spearmen and the multitude of the bulls with the calves of the people till everyone submit himself with pieces of silver Scatter you the people with that delight in war. So he's saying, they're all going to come. They're all going to come and redeem themselves. And this idea of the redemption of the people, if you remember from Exodus, the way they did the census is each person was to bring the offering and put it in the box. They didn't count the people. They didn't go out around the place. Everybody was to come to Jerusalem. They were to put their little piece of coin, and everybody paid the same coin, into the box, and at the end they just counted the coins in the box. Okay. An easy, way to easy way to do it. You all have to come to Jerusalem, put your put your coin in the box, and we'll just count the money in the box. Yeah. We don't have to hire anybody to go around the country to to count you. We'll just say, and because remember they were to go to Jerusalem three times a year, and when they were there they were to, to put their little census money in. An easy way to count, and this is what he's referring to. The whole world's going to come. They're going to give their pieces of silver, and they're going to be counted as submitted. And they're going to submit themselves. They're going to humble themselves to his authority. And this is, this is going to be an amazing time. The millennial kingdom where everybody is submitted to God. He rules with an iron rod. There will be no sin during the millennial kingdom because he's going to rule with an iron rod going to be a perfect environment and we will rule with him with our glorified bodies we're not going to be tempted anyway but you know when i've talked about this the millennial kingdom you want to talk about thought police god god's the ultimate thought police because he knows what you're thinking you got this guy thinking about well i think maybe i'll go steal the cow King! <laughs> nope you're not stealing that cow <laughs> uh you know angel shows up at your front door uh, you were thinking about stealing? No, not me. Yes, you were. No, you're not going to steal that cow. <laughs> you, know, you want to talk about, you know, they're forced to be obedient for a thousand years. Everybody born will be forced. No temptation from outside the body. There'll still be all the temptations of the, of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, but you won't be able to act on them for those who are made it through in the millennial kingdom and are ruling in their flesh. And at the end of that time, Satan's released to say, okay, you want it? Who, who's really still wanting to sin and who wants to follow God? And it'll be the ultimate proof that a perfect environment does not produce perfect people. We know it already from Adam and Eve, but this will be the second time that a perfect environment will be in existence and will not produce perfect people because many will join Satan and rebel against Jesus and God. And it's hard to believe. It's hard for me to fathom that that's going to happen, but it will. And there will be the last battle, and Satan will be cast into hell forever, along with all those who want to sin. Verse 31, the princess shall come up out of Egypt. Ethiopia shall stretch out her hands unto God. 
and again, this is saying the whole world, they're looking at Egypt at this time. Egypt, one of the big, big territories. Ethiopia was a, was a big, big country. It says, they shall come to God. They shall stretch out their hands to honor God. You know, this, these kind of things should, should, would drive the Jews crazy because all of a sudden it says the Gentiles are going to serve God. Okay? These are the kind of verses that the Jews have totally ignored over their lifetime. They're all through the scriptures that the Gentiles are going to worship God. They're going to be invited to worship God, and they ignored them. They were the special people. They were going to be the, you know, the Gentiles couldn't worship God unless they became Jews. And all through the scriptures, God's talking about the Gentile world's coming. They're going to worship. They're going to honor. They're going to submit. And this is where it's at. He's talking about two great kingdoms at this time. For David, Egypt was still a kingdom, a great kingdom. Ethiopia was a great kingdom. And he's saying they're going to submit and then verse 32, sing unto God, O you kingdoms of the earth, and sing praises unto the Lord, Selah. Inviting the whole earth to you. He didn't say, you know, sing unto God, all you Jews of the earth, sing praises to the Lord. He said, all the kingdoms, you know, every single kingdom, come worship our God and sing praises to the Lord, Selah. I can almost picture the Jews singing the song and going, this is a dumb verse, David. Why did you, why did you write these ones? The, the world's not coming to God. You know, we're the special people. <laughs> you know, we're the special people. What are you talking about Egypt and Ethiopia and, and all the kingdoms? You know, what, you know, have you gone insane? <laughs> we're the special ones. And it says, To him that rides upon the heavens of heavens, which were of old, lo, he does send his voice, and that a mighty voice. I love this one. God, it pictures God riding around and saying, I'm in charge. He rides the heaven of heavens. He's up there. And, he's, and he speaks with a voice, and it's a mighty voice. The whole world is hearing it. Ascribe ye strength unto God. His excellency is over Israel, and his strength is in the clouds. O oh God, you are terrible or awesome. Out of your holy places, the God of Israel is he that gives strength and power Unto his people, blessed be God. God is strength. He is power. We need to really keep in mind that he is the only reason that we can be victorious. His power, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that we talked about this morning that gives us power, that teaches us, teaches us all things. He gives us the strength to speak. He fills our, fills our mouth with the right words because he indwells us. And because God is indwelling us, Satan cannot be present in us. It's very true that demons cannot possess a Christian because they cannot be in the same place that God is. But don't they try to confuse you? They will try to confuse us. They will whisper in our ears, but they cannot possess. A Christian cannot be possessed by a demon because God's there. And God's not going to give up to the demon because he's stronger than the demon. Now, somebody may think they're a Christian and be possessed because they're not really filled and they're not a Christian. But Satan has no power over God. So a true Christian, Satan cannot... Cannot possess. Yeah. And when doesn't, mean, doesn't mean he can't be sitting on your shoulder oh, yeah, whisper, yeah, yeah. whispering in your ear a lot. No, because I'm just saying, because I know I'm a true Christian and I believe in God and I'm a child of God, but I really think sometimes Satan tries to fool me and... Bring up past that. Oh yeah. Oh, he always will do that. But I know I will never do his like me saying I'm going to the moon. 
I would never, ever, ever do that. And yeah. I think the past is, um, I would never do. And it's just, it really scares me because I know I have never done some things, but Satan wants to fool me. Satan is always sitting there trying to tell no, us. it's not tempting. It's just, he's trying to come. But he doesn't want us to know who we are in Christ. He does not want us to believe who we are in Christ. We're forgiven. We're children of God. We have power that he doesn't want us to understand. So he will constantly try to bind us up. He will get us to be bound up in our past saying, well, you can't be changed. This is who you are. And this is what the world will tell us. You know, you were a liar. You're always going to be a liar. You were a thief. You're always going to be a thief. You were a you are a druggie, you're always going to be a druggie. That's just who you are. You can't be saved. And Satan is always sitting there saying, this is who you are. This is who you are. Jesus is saying, you're a new creation. You are a forgiven individual. You, are, you have me in you, and you have the power to be victorious over who you were in the flesh because the flesh has been crucified. And the world will look at you, and even carnal Christians will look at you and say, you know, uh, you're just, you know, we're just waiting for you to fall back to what you were. And this is something that people who get out of alcohol especially will fall into. You know, their family, their, their spouse is always waiting for you. Well, we know that all you are is an alcoholic. You know, you're, you're going to get back into it eventually. But even when the same, when you had a past, but it wasn't really that bad on house, but then some people make it 10 times bigger than what it was. But... It's all attack from Satan because Satan does not... Let's put it this way. If you truly get to where you believed that who you are in Christ is real, you are going to be a weapon for God's kingdom that Satan is not going to be able to control. His job becomes convince you that you are not who Jesus says you are. You are not a new creation. You are not victorious. Because if he can convince you of that... He will put you on the sideline and you won't be able to, you won't, you won't share Christ, you won't move forward. And his greatest fear is for us to totally understand, I am a new creation in Christ, the flesh has been crucified, and I've got power to be so victorious. But what is that I know it and I know and I really think God is behind me and I'm just going through trials because I want to make sure that I'm going to fall through, which I know I am, it's like, He's like me, I'm going to go to the moon and back. Well, you know that's impossible, so I would never do that. You know? I mean, it's just something. But our trials are just as you said, they're to make us stronger. And they are to prepare us for the next trial that comes our way, which is going to be a harder trial. And I'm, I mean, on one side, that's a very sad thing. I'm, I'm just being strengthened up so the next trial I can get, you know, be ready to handle in a stronger way. But at the same token, it's good that God does it for us. If I was going through the financial issues that I'm going through now without having gone through the financial issues that I went through 12 years ago, I'd have been crushed. Because it was hard back then 12 years ago. And it took me a long time to turn it, turn it over. And now it's like, okay, God, it's a pain in the neck, but you're in control. But as I said, if I hadn't gone through something 12 years ago that seemed like a terrible thing back then, and then now I look back and say it really wasn't that big a deal, but I'd have been crushed by this one. I guess it's new to me because I know I'm, I'm trying to think. I know I am behind God, but now it seems like I'm going through trials. Mm -hmm. Like before, I really wasn't. And now, I mean, maybe I was, but... The more you step out to do things for God, 
the more trials you're going yeah, to face. That's what I'm talking about. Okay? Yeah. If, if Satan's and his demons' first goal is for somebody not to get saved. Okay, so they're going to work hard to keep you from getting saved. Once you're saved, if all you want to do is sit in the pew and not read your Bible, not talk to anybody about Jesus, you're not going to have any trials because he doesn't care. You're not doing anything for the kingdom of God. And it seems like the more I do good, the, the hit like backfires. The more trials you're going to... But see, this, this is something you need to understand. The more you do for God, the more of a challenge you are for the kingdom of Satan and the more he's going to attack you to try to stop you from going forward. And it's just the I way it is. Maybe, maybe I'm doing something wrong, but I'm, no. no, I'm not. The more you do for God, the more Satan is going to attack. Yeah. And this is just the way it, it is. It takes me a while to figure that out. Yeah. You know? When you think things are going bad, you get a flat tire. No, that's not anyone. No, no, no. No, but, but in one sense, yeah, when, well, some, when bad things happen to you, the first thing you do want to look at is, have I been sinning? Am I, am I in disobedience? Okay. If I'm not then thank you, God, I'm doing something for the kingdom and Satan is trying to stop me. See, that's what I'm thinking of now. I said, thank you, God, I know you're just giving me another trial. I'm not thinking of, you know, yeah. what... And the more you do for the kingdom, the more Satan is going to move to try to stop you. Because it's critical for him because he does not want us moving forward for the kingdom. Because if I'm sharing the gospel with people, then more people can get saved. And the more people I'm sharing the gospel with, the greater the chance of getting them, them coming to Christ. And Satan does not want people to come to Christ, so he's going to try to stop me. Okay? And the more you do, the more you teach, the more you, the more you study the word, the more you talk to people, the more trial you're going to have because he's going to. And what's even more, not just more trial, but you know, most Christians don't have a demon assigned to them because they're not doing anything for the kingdom. You start speaking about Jesus, you might have a, 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 a demon assigned to you. The more you speak, the higher level demon that you're going to have oh. assigned to you. Because you're more of a threat. Okay? Now, somebody like, probably not as much as any, but somebody like Billy Graham, who speaks to millions of people and, and gets the gospel out, you don't even want to think about the trials and attacks yeah. that he's gone through. Okay, and he doesn't share most of them, but I can guarantee that if you were to sit down with Billy Graham and say, you know, gee, Billy Graham, how easy is your life because you witness and, and share all the gospel with millions of people, he'd probably laugh at you and say, you, just, you don't even want to know. And I bet you if you told him some of your trials, he'd probably say, that is nothing compared to what I and, Yeah, he, and, and you know, that's the point. He could go back and say, well, that's, you know, you're just, you're just at the beginning. Okay, and so... And it's not for us to sit there and compare who's got the hardest time or anything, but it's just a guarantee the more you're doing for the kingdom of God, the more you're going to be attacked from the enemy. But see, that's what's weird. It's weird because then it happens. I feel good. It's, it's a weird feeling. It's like I can really feel now God's in me and I feel good. It's not like before I would be mad. I would be. Yeah. I felt good. And as, Paul, and as Paul said, you know, he had the thorn in his flesh, and he asked God three times to take it away, and God said, my grace is sufficient. So sometimes he just says, I want you to just learn to live with it. And that may sound pessimistic, but yet at the same time, if we're living in the strength of God, then it's what we, then he'll guide and he'll protect. And we don't want to get worried and upset and, and angry about different things because God is in control. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. 
Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. And Lord, you, the trials that we go through, you are, you are our strength. You are our blessing. You, nothing happens that, you don't wanna, that you're not aware of. We know that we are in a war. The more we do for you, the more that we will be under attack from the enemy. Help us to understand that. Help us to lean more and more on you and be hidden in you at all times. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.